0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Bobcast, episode 112, with you as always as Bob, live in the lounge, staring at the Ouija board. We're going way back this evening, ladies and gentlemen. We're going back to the year 2005. I just graduated college. I was about to say goodbye to my mother and father, and I was about to move to sunny southern Los Angeles, California, to pursue my dream of being a rock star with my band, Downtown Harvest. Now, I really had no clue how I was going to get there, where I was going to stay, where we were going to practice, but I turned to a familiar place where all musicians go when they're in a you know a big boggle, Craigslist. On Craigslist, I came across several advertisements for places to live where we never could afford it. $2,000, $3,000, $4,000, it was just insane. So then I figured to myself, I was like, you know what? Who needs an apartment? Why don't I just try to find a studio lockout space that we basically could just live in? Which I know sounds absurd, but I did that. And one of the things that I found was some place called ABC Studios in San, on San Fernando Road, I guess in Los Angeles, uh, right outside Glen, Glendale. So I, I started sending emails to the guy who was in charge there. He was sending me stuff back. I explained my situation I said, I'm from Philadelphia, I'm going to be moving out there with my band, you know, asking him questions. I remember, uh, I was like, can you send me a couple pictures of the place so I can get a general idea of like where we're going to be living? He would send me back these uh, digital pictures, but even before cell phones had cameras and stuff like that. And I decided, you know, I'm going to take a gamble on this. I think this is the spot for us, you know? So uh, I sent a down down deposit out there and I flew downtown Harvest out to Los Angeles. I'd never even seen this place before. I just kind of just took it upon myself like, yeah, we're, we're going to do this. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, to be young, you know, you make choices. Sometimes that may not be right or wrong. You just do things. And uh, this is one of the choices in my life that I'm really happy that I did because it probably was one of the best times of my life. So we move out to Los Angeles and uh, we get to the spot. Uh, the flight over was a debauchery. We got drunk out of our minds. <laughs> Tom Moore gets to the place. He's like, there's not even a 7-Eleven here. What are we going to do? Where are we going to get something to eat? I was like, relax. So I finally met the guy I was talking to on the phone. And, you know, I exchanged information with him. He gave me the key to what would become the disco house. Um, Bob's Disco House is the name that we gave it just because we had lost our minds there without um, any clothes. We had shipped the clothes over. The clothes didn't um, show up for two weeks in Chris Wood's van. We got charged 200, 250 bucks fine for overpacking this thing. So we started the process of playing and writing and trying to get into venues in Los Angeles, and we start to play a lot of places, and we realized we need a new demo. And the guy out back had a little studio called Concrete Park. And, you know, I said, what a a better place to record. It's right out back. We can do this thing. We can take our time. And the process was something that I'll I'll never forget. And I'll I'll be honest with you, it's probably still my favorite album to this day. A lot of people come up to me and they say, "Downtown Harvest, the white album. Number one, it's an emotional album for me. I listened to it. It's a summer anthem album. And uh, I think that's all due in part to uh, tonight's guest, he is the producer, friend of Downtown Harvest. Please welcome Mr. Vern Graham to the show. How are you, Vern? Hey, Bob. <laughs> good. How are you doing? I'm good, man. It's been uh, quite a bit. We, we've we connected a couple times on Facebook, but we haven't spoken together in a while, and uh, it really feels as if, I mean, in the, the pre-roll to this podcast, that, you know, really no time has been lost at all. No, it feels like yesterday. I mean, so, like, what do you remember? Like, what, you remember me calling you and being like, hey, I'm from Philadelphia, I'm going to move out there?
1: No, well, you know what? That, you know, I, I I kind of remember it. Um, what the amazing thing was is that,
2: you know, we only had three live-in spaces at, at ABC. Mm-hmm. And,
1: I mean, it's like finding a unicorn in, you know, a gigantic forest, a, a, a space like that never comes available.
0: Because people stay and there forever.
1: Just, it was, no, it's, it's yeah. And it was just amazing that you guys, that you found it at that particular time when, you know, it was being rented out.
0: So what Yeah, uh, Because
1: they do, they stay there for years and years and years. And there was only three of those in the whole complex of, uh, it was about 50, 50 um, Lockout Studios only three of them were live-ins
0: so how did you get the gig there like how did you first start working for ABC
1: Studios (laughs) Um, you know it it was sort of the same deal I was uh, I just uh, moved back to California from Seattle and I was staying with a friend and I was you know I kind of had a part time job um, but I was just looking for a studio and uh I went. I went down to see if I could rent a studio. And I talked to the manager, and he said, "Yeah, I'm I'm leaving in like four days."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm like, "Really?" <laughs> and I said, I, "You know, I, I would I would love to to manage this place." Um, and so within you
0: know
1: a day or two, I went down and interviewed, and it was mine. That's awesome. Uh, it, was, it was it was pretty amazing for me because you know I mean you know they gave me free rent and literally like it was like two hundred bucks a month.
0: Oh, it was free rent. I never and, knew that. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was it was free rent uh, and they gave me like a couple hundred bucks a month. to, you know, empty the trash and make sure you know the drunks
0: didn't get out of hand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the only problem with it was you know that it was literally half of that that uh, shack was um, a tool shed with a dirt floor yeah so ladies and gentlemen the shack um we used we, we to Vern in the shack Vern in the shack out back I mean it literally was almost like a a shanty shack but a, Vern had converted this tool shed I guess if you will into a makeshift studio where the White Album was recorded yeah
1: it was like
0: uh, and there was no you know there was electricity but there was no running water or plumbing yeah I forgot about that <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and I lived there.
0: I did that for like five years. Oh, I man, don't but... know how I did. It. I'd, I'd be out there. I'd be out there doing my dishes at the uh, at the faucet. You know, outside. I remember that. Now, uh, it's all bring. There was a bathroom there, right? It was like a a bathroom that was like under the stairs there that all like the drug addicts would use, right? Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I had to go across the parking lot and. Um, that was my bathroom and there, there was a little shower in there that I, I found that I had to
0: finally put a lock on it oh my god because
1: people would want to use it um but it was you know it was it was it, it was what it was it was it helped me like get into the whole you know music
0: scene yeah I mean for, for me I mean Downtown Harvest I mean it, it helped us get into the music scene this is where we recorded our first album um I, I, we had spent a couple months there um just trying to get our, you know, our, our like our bearings and stuff like that before we decided to record with you. Do you remember like how that process began? Because I can't, I know it just, you know, evolved, but I, I remember. Yeah, I, I believe that,
1: um, you know, we just sort of like, you know, I met you guys, and you know, there's all four of you guys, and you're really great. And I remember. You know, your space wasn't a whole lot bigger than mine, although you did have running water
0: and
1: uh, yeah. and the toilet. And <laughs> but I remember uh, you guys were packed in there like sardines.
0: Yeah, four guys. You were I sleeping
1: mean, sleeping on the floor. No, if and
0: you if you do I, recall, I it. If you do recall, I was savvy. I had an air mattress that I would put into a tent, so I did have my own bedroom technically. <laughs> yeah, I was blown away. That,
1: I mean, you guys were just so on top of each other. Yeah. I couldn't. It was. I would almost, it was almost like, seemed better to have my own spot in no running <laughs> water than to be that packed up, you know?
0: Yeah, so so how did the Downtown Harvest, like, how did we first start recording? Because that's a, a piece that's missing from my vernacular.
1: Well, well, I, the first, how it happened was, uh, you guys, we just started talking, and you were mentioning that, you know, you wanted to record, and I said, well, let's, uh, I want to listen to you guys, and... You said, "Well, like this weekend, we're going up to the Iron Door up in Groveland, and you invited me up there uh, to come listen to you guys." And um, I, I still remember that 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 moment when when you guys played. I was, well, let's put it this way, Bob. I I saw it because I'd never heard you guys play, and you guys you know quite a bit younger than me. And, you know, you, you guys were partying and
0: whatever. <laughs> and I thought, oh, you know, the, These the guys. kids out, out, coming out to L.A. to make it.
1: And I still remember being at that show and just being floored how good you guys were.
0: Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate just, it.
1: It was. I, it was. It, it immediately, I thought, when I saw you guys, I thought Beatles
0: yeah yeah we 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 were not, trying to go and, for that but,
1: and well yeah it, it, not necessarily that you sounds you, you guys sound like the Beatles, but you everyone in the band is so talented, and you guys were so tight and well rehearsed and your songs were so original mm-hmm. I was just i was floored
0: well you know and
1: another thing i, re- I another thing I remember was uh before we went up there um I asked Chris, um, the drummer, mm-hmm. if he'd ever recorded to a click, <laughs> to a click track. Yeah, which is uh, for anybody who doesn't know, it's, it's like a, a metronome. Yeah, which is standard
0: in your head all day.
1: Yeah, yeah, which is which is a standard way to um, uh, record. And I know a lot of people are a little uncomfortable at first, but it's usually, it helps out everybody a lot. Um, And he sort of looked at me and he's like, he's got this sour note on his face, you know? And so I'm like, oh, he's not going to want to do this. Um, And I still remember, and I said, well, we'll we'll talk about it. And I remember the first thing that I sent to to Chris uh, after your guys' first set, as I said, Chris, we don't need a click. He was that good. He was that just on the money. I've never, you know, up to that point, I'd never heard, you know, a drummer that just could just keep that perfect groove. Yeah. He was happy about that.
0: He, he really had that. You know what I love? I love now that I'm, I'm recalling all this. I mean, like, you lived no more than, what, 40 yards from where we live, but instead of just coming over to see a practice, we, we took you 600 miles north to Groveland, California, uh, Groveland, California, ladies and gentlemen, literally is one of the most magical places. It probably is one of, I think it is my favorite place ever to play. And I've, yesterday on Facebook, I was posting stuff about the, the first studio album Album, and I was talking to Chris Lowe. It was my, my favorite venue and he literally was the best host ever. I mean, this is the oldest um, drinking saloon in the state of California, the oldest liquor license, if you will. The town looks like it's straight out of like, you know, the cowboy era. And uh, we would go up there for the weekend, and we'd play in their establishment, and we'd stay above the venue in this, like, uh, little apartment. And uh, the people there were wonderful. Um, they welcomed us into their homes, to their stores. We ate with them. We went to their houses. We even went out on the lake with them a couple times. And this place is at the, the western gate of Yosemite National Park. So, I mean, the scenery was lovely. And um, I had met these guys previously when I was uh, doing a documentary for the band Brother. And I'm just so happy that uh, I was able to go there. And I hope to take my son back there one day just to just to see the town. Because, I mean, it's just magical, you know. But, yeah, I mean, like, you know, it's just crazy to think that. I mean, we could have just been like, hey, Vern, why don't you come check out a practice? But no, we said, get in the van. We're going up north. But, yeah, that was fun, man. I remember that night, too. I remember after oh. the set, like, talking to you out outside. At um, the venue in between sets and you were like yeah we, we definitely got something here you know we, we can do something you know oh yeah you know I think I think later on that night we played some poker oh yeah and and you might want to let everybody know that
1: yeah the the little apartment complex up above the iron door where the band stay when they play there
0: well, mm-hmm. at least I know you, we did uh, is used to be a brothel yeah 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 <laughs> I mean remember that? yeah I remember There's hearing that whole little, story yeah. little room, it was just you know, I mean, it's like, it, how old is that? You know, hundred um, th- years old or something. I, I think that that was in the 1800s. If Chris Lowe's uh, listening to this, perhaps he could uh, comment in on Facebook or something like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, that was the one thing. I don't. Th- did I ever show you the room? So Chris Lowe was the he was the, the bar keep. He was the you know the the manager of the place. But the Iron Door Saloon was created. Um, by, I think he bought it, Peter Barsotti was his name, and he was the stage manager for Winterland in San Francisco for every single Grateful Dead show. And in that upstairs brothel-slash-apartment, there was a room with every single Grateful Dead concert T-shirt ever, I think. Neatly folded. Did I take you in that room?
1: Yeah, I don't don't
0: remember that. Yeah, but I mean, still, though, I mean, that place just, I mean, it was full of, like, you know, just rock and roll like uh, memorabilia I mean uh, Taj Mahal played there I mean there's pictures of uh, people from Fish. I think there was a picture of even Bruce Springsteen on the wall that he had come through there once and played so it definitely was a legendary spot so um, once we we left Groveland like when we got back down I think in my memory the first song we ever recorded was either Rubber Band Song or Hey Neptune do you recall?
1: Uh, you know I said,
0: <clears throat> I don't I, I, think, really I think it was Hey Neptune because I remember at this time you had you had just purchased a brand new Honda Accord, maybe, or Honda, yeah. right? So 2005, you, you, yeah. You yeah. had them awesome new factory speakers that <laughs> cars didn't have oh, them. Oh, So we would get in your car and listen to the mix over and over again. We were just sitting there with the AC rolling to just uh, absorb the take. Do you remember that?
1: Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, uh, to this day... It's, you know, it's always to the car. That is the best way to, you know, because that's where, you know, most people, that's where they listen to the music. At least, you know, a lot now it's like sort of...
0: Yeah, I still listen it, to it I know you off
1: your phone. But, I mean, you listen to it in your car, you know? And if, it's, if it sounds good in the car, then it's pretty much going to sound good anywhere.
0: Anywhere, yeah. I, I had read and, that... Um, um, when Jack White records his music, he he records it to a board, but he wired his car so he could listen to playbacks while he drives around, like Nashville, Tennessee, which is yeah. wild. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I remember that the process of beginning "Hey Neptune." I remember the Rubber Band song. I think these were the first two songs we cut, and uh, it was just it was a. I mean, I I had never recorded. I think we used the click for a couple things, but I had never record it in that capacity to have time like we had done like a four song EP prior and that was all in one day with a guy named Andrew Kravitz who just wasn't really interested in the project and he kind of rushes through so we cut four songs in one day but with you I think we did that project for almost uh, the better part of like a year we just took our time with it you know uh, yeah I don't think it
1: was quite that long um, but it, 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 it was a while it was, it was at least a few months You know, a good good portion of that um, was, you know, a mixing.
0: Yeah, (laughs) mixing is nuts. Because
1: you guys, I mean, it was was pretty easy to to get you guys actually down on tape, um, or, you know, down on hard drives, because, I mean, everybody was so perfect at what they did. Um, And a lot of the stuff, you know, we did, we tried to do as as much, you know, all together as possible, which I think
0: uh, gives the the album uh, just this cohesiveness it really does have a cohesiveness um, and it, it, it well it keeps
1: the groove you know um, and and has
0: it, it has a good flow
1: I think we'd, we'd go in and uh, redo the uh, the vocals afterwards um, which is you know standard but um, yeah. a lot of it was like all you guys and that, you know I mean that was such a small space
0: um, and yet there there was some good separation, you know, there was a couple different rooms in there. Yeah, there was. A, I, I love the way you'd set it up, you know, like uh, there was the control room, the vocal room, the drums we did first and then we did all the overdubs later. But uh, I remember, yeah. like, I enjoyed how we would do like the, the DI, like the piano or Tom's guitar, like we would all be in one yeah. room together, just basically going straight into the board.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's if you can get away with that, you know, not a lot of bands can actually get away with that because, you know, the problem is, is there's, um, you know, each instrument bleeds into another and if, if they're not if they're not just right, it's really hard to go in and edit something, you know, so it, uh, so it is right. So you sort of got to, it's kind of old school where they used to actually go in and,
0: you know, the whole band would do the whole song and, you know, on four tracks or whatever. Do you remember um, how? Like I remember, I, I was it your Pod Six or was it my Pod Six that I did Tom's guitar tones with? Do You remember um, that you used to, you called me the.
1: I know I, know I had one. That one thing was a pain in the
0: butt. You called me the Pod Master. But you, but I mean, you, I'm a podcast you know host that? now, but you used to call me the Pod Master, but now I'm a podcast host. <laughs> pod but yeah, well, yeah, because you could,
1: you could actually
0: get that thing just like yeah paid. i missed that thing man I, i've been looking for one of them like online they're expensive they, they want a lot of money for them now i'm like what i think i got that oh for like 80 really? 90 bucks but i think you might have had one I have, too i haven't I, have, I haven't seen one of those in years yeah they, they had a great too so tom's guitar on the white album or self-titled is all pretty much the pod six like uh preamp style so yeah i mean I, I the people come up to me all the time, and they, you know they always talk about this album. I mean, we put out two other albums. One we did in a studio, the other we did at home, and equally in their own way, they they are special. But to a lot of people, this one, it's really like an emotional thing for them. You know, like they really um, they love the album. You know, so it's 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 neat to be able to share with, with them the story of like how it got made. I mean, uh, I I remember when we were, we first start doing like the Bob B. track. <laughs> we were looking, uh-huh. at, at first I remember like thinking to myself, is is this, a, are we really going to do this? Is this really going to be on the album? Because, you know, it was almost like a joke, you know what I mean? And I mean. With, I, re- I remember that, I remember that. We were like looking at each other and like Frank was hitting the keyboards, making those noises, you know, come on, yeah, yeah, come on. And like, you know, we were like, I don't know, you know, should we release this? And, you know, people really responded to that song. They would go crazy on the dance floor when we play it. During our career, do you remember when I I was like, we gotta get them drums real hip hop sounding, Vern? You're like, all right, we'll do it. I still remember. <laughs> it was when we were Hold adjusting on, the man. peak limiter. You what? You were adjusting the peak limiter on the, like the kickback of the sub, like so it would become like a different sound. Uh, I think of my bass, maybe. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. But yeah. Uh,
1: well, you know, any song that has a scary clown in it is cool with me. Yeah, man.
0: So, you know. <laughs> well, you know, mentioning that I, I have to tell a story that
1: uh, it's just it's something that stands out so vividly to me, and I don't remember what song. <laughs> uh, it was it was a song where I, I, uh, uh, all of you guys were singing at once, and I remember that you all went into that little recording booth or the little vocal booth. <laughs> Um, and I'm I'm down there like messing around with, you know, trying to get all the cues and everything down and then something went wrong and I had to come in to do to to readjust a microphone. I opened the door and all four of you each have a bottle of wine (laughs) and no pants. Do you remember that?
0: I do remember that. Yeah, completely. We were like, (laughs) let's get it right. I
1: opened the door and my jaw dropped and I think I just sort of (laughs) walked in and adjusted
0: the uh, microphone and yeah I, I remember that. okay if that's what it
1: takes man that's great oh, that is, that's, that's an iconic moment for me
0: I, that was the two buck chucks you remember uh, Trader Joe's like they had bought the stock of all that wine
1: uh, I, I've had a couple
0: of hangovers from that stuff. Yeah, yeah so um, they don't sell that over here. But uh, Trader Joe's out in Los Angeles had bought uh, all this airlines wine stock, I guess, and they sold them for two bucks, and they really got you drunk. Um, you know, I do re- I do recall uh the song that we were recording when we did that. So let's take a listen to that particular one here on the Bobcast. This is TKO by Downtown Harvest. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. Yeah. cast with Vern Graham. So yeah, uh, that was a, a magical moment between the band and yourself. But um, I mean, what else do you recall from those days? I mean, it's, it's 10 years. It's hard to believe that that much time has passed. But I mean, having this conversation with you right now, it seems as if, you know, we're living it.
1: Yeah, it, it, it brings a lot of stuff back. Um, well, let's see, what else? Um Maybe because it's probably our jaws going what what in the hell you know um, so it, it was wouldn't so say, strange right? it just something it, there was uh, all i can say is there was a ghost in the machine but wow. it, it caused us to be like really diligent and to to like really try and remember exactly what where we ended the day before to see if it would you know if it would change. And it did, Jesus. like, a couple of times, a few times, actually. It was, it was a little maddening, but, you know, I mean, that's part of the process.
0: That's, I, I remember him telling me something like that, but, I mean, that was also a really early version of Pro Tools, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I
1: mean, that, that was, was, it was, you know, I, we did it on a Digi 002, yeah. and, which is, you know, it's, and, and, yeah, pretty early Pro Tools. Yeah, I remember um, I remember um, that. And, yeah, and it was just—it was—it was—it was just
0: like crazy. I would have lost but my mind. Um, <laughs> well, we both—we
1: both did, you know.
0: I'm happy to do uh, uh, to tell everyone that uh, tomorrow Frank Ewing from Downtown Harvest is getting married, so I'll be attending that ceremony. So congratulations to Frank and his bride.
1: Congratulations, Ray.
0: We love you, Franco. Right on. Thanks for taking care of that ghost (laughs) in the machine, you know what I mean? But uh, the other thing I remember Uh distinctively from that time period, I mean, we had our, you know, we recorded in the shack, out back, we had the disco house, but we also had the rest of ABC studios to contend with, and... I mean, not not a lot of people, you know, I've told people this story, and they're like, oh, really? Like, so one of our neighbors was uh, Chris Holmes. I guess he didn't technically live there. But uh, he was the guitar player for WASP, white, Anglo, Saxon, Protestant uh, males, I I believe. And um, his claim to fame, if you look it up on YouTube, he is in this documentary called The Decline of Western Civilization Part 2. And he... Was a lead guitarist for a band, and he's captured in this documentary drinking, I, I guess, a liter full of vodka in a pool and going on this drunken rant with his mother by the poolside. And he was our neighbor, and we would jam with him. He would come in with his, uh, I think he had like a hammer style guitar. He he drove around, I think, in a Firebird, and just really bizarre individual. But do you rec- what do you remember of Chris Holmes? <laughs>
1: I mean, um, he's yeah. wow. I, I, you know,
0: you haven't thought about him in a while. <laughs> Chris, Chris Holmes comes from a
1: place of like. Well, first of all, one of the things I I remember about him is he he really was ranting on uh, Penelope, Penelope Sperry, the uh, the director.
0: Mm-hmm. Of uh, I never got paid. He would say okay. to me. I never got do- of the
1: documentary.
0: Yeah, and he, he just
1: he, he would always rant about how she set him up. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because where where they filmed that, you, you thought that it was his house.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: but it, was, it
0: wasn't. No, it was a place. It was, you that, know,
1: just yeah. just a house that they rented. And he would always just you know every every you know once in a while he'd come up
0: and just like really just. Wah! Oh yeah, he would he go on those tangents, um, and, man. And he he had to, he had some some
1: very interesting like phrases written on the inside of his uh, Firebird
0: that oh, were God, really yeah.
1: really off color.
0: Totally. And he would rip yeah, around that. Um, he would drive like we lived on a road that was predominantly empty. It was like almost like a. There's a lot of businesses there. The last time I, I went back, I, I drove back there. It's weird. The shack's gone. They built like new studio lockout spaces there. But um
1: yeah, yeah, I know. I've seen that. It's, it's like a, a huge complex back there. It's a
0: massive complex now. And I guess the I, I I knocked on the door where I lived once, and I went in, and the the guys were like, "Who the hell are? You, who the hell is this guy?" And but I I looked for homes, and he wasn't there. Um But yeah, he used to come in and jam with us, man. And he, you know, I, I have. Uh, I have I I spent a lot of time with that guy <laughs> talking to him about rock and yeah. roll and like you know at the time I, I wanted to uh put him like on his own TV show I'm like look man I'm I'm tired of hearing you talk about the decline and how you didn't get paid why can't you just film yeah. your own show and he was like yeah all right, yeah I don't even think he knew my name I think he called me Bob once but it was after he heard somebody else say it but he was like yeah you you should get that camera and you should you should you should you should film 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 me I'll be like all right yeah he used to hang out with the guy that lived next door to me. What was his name? The guy with the, the, the gray beard? Oh, the...
1: yeah, I can't remember.
0: I blocked <laughs> it, it out. Time.
1: Yeah, they, they, were, they, um,
0: they were pretty much good buds. Two peas in a pod. He's I mean, like, well, they we're, we're going to go down to the Rainbow Room, ba. You want to come with us? I'm like, nah, man, I want to stay here. I'm not going to Rainbow Room. But yeah, I mean, it's hard to believe when I look back that I only spent one year of my life there. I mean, I lived in different spots in Los Angeles previously, but it was only one year, but it seemed like an eternity really. And um yeah, I mean that experience to me, I guess that was like better than any college. That was better than any Navy, Army or Marine Corps that I could join. I, I joined the A B C Studios Concrete Park Legionnaire, you know, and um I really appreciate you oh, you know, you. I mean you were you were um, you know, older than us and you really took us under your wing and you helped us create, I think, the best album of my career. So I want to thank you for that and uh, I want to move on and start talking now about your music because I know the Concrete Park moniker is still going and um, you're still cutting songs.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've got one, you know, one, you know, kind of, what is it, six or seven song EP um, and... Um. Right
0: now, working on the new one. So you you call yourself Concrete Park, right? That's the artist name that they could look up on the internet. Yeah. I love it. You know, I mean, the concrete. We before I even recorded out there with you, and you had the Concrete Park studios around this area in Plymouth Meeting. People may be familiar because we've talked about this previously on a podcast. The concrete jungle which was the metroplex so it was weird for me to like have concrete here and then move to los angeles and record in concrete but yeah i followed your career since then on facebook and all the other social media networks um you've got a new song that's going to be on your new album i took a listen to it before we recorded this podcast i have to say that it reminds me of the talking heads going out on a date with david bowie with that being said (laughs) (laughs) let's take a listen to uh new track from concrete park this is Woven Wind. Here with Vern on the podcast, Bobcast, live, coming at you from the lounge. So that was Woven Wind. You can follow the link down below, and you can download the song. You can name your price. I suggest you put in $3,000 and help Vern out. You know what I mean? Why not? You know, musicians don't get paid no more. Uh, that's a sad thing in today's re- in, in today's world. I mean, it's hard to, to make a buck. But uh, I really dig that song. Like I said, the vibe is definitely there. It's, it's definitely got all those aesthetics of Talking Heads and Bowie. Um, do you still do any uh, like live shows? Do you perform anywhere?
1: Well, you know that's kind of funny. I um, I don't really. My my deal has been sort of um, you know I, I get these like kind of think like of Alan Parsons Project type of thing. I, I you know I have uh, sort of the my the basic guy. The other part of Concrete Park is Sue Costello. He does a lot of the bass, um, lead guitars, and um, and then we usually, you know, like figure stuff out, and then we start bringing in like different drummers. Like on, on the last uh, my last album, uh, we had three different drummers. It's it's called First Offense, the, the album we had three drummers. Um, you know, a bunch of different guitars. A few different vocalists, you know. I mostly back up to I like to do the vocals.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but yeah, and then like the, the new stuff, I, I do want. I would love to put a band together, um, like a permanent deal. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll we'll see we'll see
0: what we. What was that? Uh, I'm sorry, you broke up for a sec. You were about to say uh, we'll see what happens.
1: We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how it goes when I. You know, get done
0: with this album. Now, are you, you know, I'm, are I'm you sure. still living in the Los Angeles area?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm sort of living in the um, the northeast San Fernando Valley.
0: What's going on um, with I your um with your acting career? I remember you were acting a little bit when I lived out there.
1: Yeah, um, I actually, I at that time I wasn't doing a whole lot.
0: Um, but you were doing like right something now, for like well, uh, I forget. You were working for. Uh, the company that put out the Matrix or something like that, right? What's their call, Viacom, something like that? Something, Our Village Roadshow? Uh, you were doing something with Village Roadshow.
1: Uh, well, I guess, I actually, that's funny. I actually, um, bargained oh, for, that's it. one yeah. of the owners of Village Roadshow. Yeah, yeah I, that,
0: in my mind, I I, yeah. I just pulled that from 10 years ago. <laughs> like, of, did something. They throw some pretty good parties. Oh, yeah, I remember you um, telling me about that. Did they make you sign any yeah. non-disclosure agreements? <laughs>
1: But actually, as far as acting, you know, a couple summers ago, I did a few Shakespearean the park plays at the Royal Garrick Ge-
0: uh, Theatricum Botanicum, which was a lot of fun. Which one did you do? Um, which play did you do?
1: Uh, let's see. We did Lear, Much Ado About Nothing.
0: Nice.
1: And uh, Miss Night's Dream.
0: I just had, yeah. uh, i heard over the radio that Shakespeare is still the most popular playwright with his works being adapted into over like 80-something different films. And there's a lot of films on the list that I didn't even know about. Like Clueless is, is based off some sort of Shakespearean play, and I'm like, wow, like there's so much stuff that he yeah. did, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wild, really. But, um, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's good to hear that you're still doing your thing. And, and now, like, yeah. when I was out there, like your, your daughter was just still a kid. Now she's like, how old? Uh, She's 18. She's she's about to attend college. Wow, man. That's great. Well, I wish her the best in college. And you you
1: have have just like a a little teeny
0: tiny tiny tot now. Yeah, I got a three-month-year-old baby. Uh, His name's Tyler. And yeah, life is so much different, but it really is for the better. I mean, those moments. I mean, he just puked on me a few hours ago. I can still smell it on myself as I record this podcast. It doesn't bother me one bit. (laughs) You know, and I got to tell everyone out there who doesn't have a kid or is thinking, oh man, I'm too scared to have a kid. I don't think I can do it. Go out there and procreate. <laughs> oh. If you can't procreate, go out there and adopt. You can get a dog, you can get a cat, but I'll be honest with you, there's nothing better than the love of a child. You know what I mean? It's great coming home. Oh, you man, know? I mean, they you know, they're,
1: they're, they're, they're actually, they can be lifesavers.
0: They really can. They <laughs> you, really you can. End up,
1: you, end up going, you end up going gray, but I mean, it's, it's just a whole different
0: world. Isn't it bizarre that people like when they when they get stressed out, their hair goes gray? Like, I just how does that work? Somebody out there in the Bobcast land, send me an email, cahill.bob at gmail.com. Let me let me know why my hair on my temples here is going gray like poly Walnuts. But um, yeah, stress stress is a good thing in life. You know what I mean? Like uh, especially when it's a kid. I mean, one of the things we do here on the Bobcast, and we're doing it right now as we speak, is Dadcast talking about just being a dad and, like, what it's like. I mean, it completely changed my life for the better. Um, I remember when I was living out there thinking the complete opposite. Like, I remember, you, you know, you were like, my, my daughter's eight. I'm like, Jesus, I, I can't imagine what that's like, you know. But um, that's great. Where's she going to school at? Uh, pardon? Where's she going to go to school at? Uh, Cal State, Long Beach. Nice. She's going to uh, be studying... Film. She wants to be a, um, a film editor. Oh wow! Well, I actually yeah. No, no I, and she, she's, a, she's she's quite the, she's she's quite
1: quite the
0: actress too. Oh, I hope I, you know. I wish good things for her. If she ever needs uh, any assistance, like my brother lives in Los Angeles. He taught me everything I know. I edit commercials now for a company here in Philadelphia. Um, perhaps maybe they could link up and learn some things. He just taught me something tonight, which was crazy. By hitting like shift asterisk e, you can compress. One image into a high res instead of doing the whole thing, which takes some time, but that's a different podcast here. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, the, short, the shortcut podcast, yeah, shortcut podcast, where you could listen to 45 minutes in exactly two minutes. I just actually, you know, on another tangent, I heard today that there's a new revolutionary exercise out there that is one minute long <laughs> and it includes, it includes you just running at full speed. For sixty straight seconds, and then maybe some light, like you know, dumbbells afterwards. But uh, yeah, it was actually on Good Morning America, and I'm like, oh my god, dude! Like,
1: people... well, you, you know how you actually, you know how you actually burn all the calories from that?
0: How? It's from all the from all the barfing afterwards. Yeah, right. Just throwing up. <laughs> the last time I went to a full sprint, I felt like my shins were gonna fall off. Like, but yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing to me, like how people want shortcuts for everything. I mean, you should take time and. That's one thing that um, I miss uh, about the the late 90s, early 1000s, is we were still just getting into it. I mean, one of the things I recall, too, um, when we were recording, you talked about The Ghost when we were recording Downtown Harvest Self-Titled. Do you remember when cell phones first came out, like the sprints and the flip, you know, you would get this feedback noise in your earphones or on the monitors of like a... Like, you don't hear that no more with iPhones or Androids, but I remember numerous times having to stop because, yo, 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 I got, it in the, I got it in my headphones. I can hear the phone. So, I mean, technology is oh, coming. yeah, yeah. Through. Remember was, that?
1: Yeah, it was it would click, click, and
0: it would go beep, 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 beep. beep yeah. and
1: it would just totally mess
0: up the tape. I wish I could get that as a sample, but I don't know where you would get that at. Because, I mean, I, I think my friend Mickey's got a bunch of old cell phones, but who knows what that was putting out. But uh, what we put out in the year 2000... In the year 2006, the, the self-titled uh, White Album by Downtown Harvest is uh, still looked at today by a lot of people with great high regard. Uh, we're going to be celebrating for the next couple of weeks here on the Bobcast, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever, Downtown Harvest's first studio album. Uh, Vern, it's been great catching up with you. Uh, I feel as if we should hang out again, you know, maybe cut another album, or if you need a bass player on in the next concrete park. Studio album, fly me out, you know? I, I'll, I'll keep buying your songs on Bandcamp. Hopefully, actually, somebody goes on there right now and, and buys a song for 3000 bucks, and they could uh, just put me on a Southwest flight, because I definitely miss working with you. Uh, I've worked with a lot of producers, but you were by far the most direct, but you were also the most like, inspirational in a way, like, you would guide us along, be like, oh, you know, this vocal right here could be a little bit more sharp, Frankie, you need to go double this, and you really helped us, so, once again, thank you very much for it, I appreciate it.
1: Oh, you know, thank you, I mean, I learned a, an amazing amount from you guys, um, you know, you said you, you know, earlier that you guys, you know, when you were just getting started, yeah, um, you know, I,
0: I, I felt at that time, it was like, wow, these guys are veterans, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, you had everything you needed, you
1: know, um, and it was, it made it a pleasure for me.
0: Well, it was, the feeling was I, mutual. And I made
1: a bunch of really great friends, too, so, hey, you know, it's good art is always a win-win situation.
0: And that's the good thing about music here, ladies and gentlemen, is that it can last forever. My guest tonight was Vern Graham. Here on Bobcast episode 112. My name's Bob, and this has been another episode of
1: Bobcast.
0: Bobcast.